A quick note. This episode deals with homophobia and discrimination. Please take care if you choose to listen. When you find your forever person, the love you share can be a haven from an outside world of hate. But what happens when the hate seeps in, threatening the very foundation of that love? Can it survive a world determined to tear it apart? He thinks you're gay. The sergeant wants to get you out. He's friendly with the captain and he's determined. This week's epic love story starts in the early 90s in a small town in Northern Ireland called Lisburn. It's home to the headquarters of the British Army in Northern Ireland. We're stepping back to a time where two soldiers were posted there, Ruth and Jew. That's Jew, J-U, short for Julia. Right now, they're off duty and doing what they love to do in their spare time, play sports. This is Ruth. I played quite quite a bit of hockey. I got pretty good, actually. I, I wasn't too, too bad at all. And one day, Ruth's team is scheduled to play a match against Jew's team. On the pitch that day, something happens between Ruth and Jew. Here's Jew trying to describe it. It's like something in her eyes. It just opened my soul. That's all I can say. Something opened up my soul and my heart, and I'll never forget that first look. Sorry, it gets me emotional. <laughs> ah, love at first sight. Have you ever experienced it? Some people say it doesn't exist, but all the love songs and movies, they were hitting on something real, weren't they? It's a theme we can't seem to get away from on this podcast, too. There's no denying that sometimes you catch a stranger's eye and feel an instant connection. Some say it feels like being knocked over by a feather, and others, like Ruth, think it's more like a jolt of electricity. As soon as we sort of like saw each other, there was something that happened, some sort of like, I can only perhaps describe as some sort of like electrical impulse. And I wanted to tell the world, I love this human being. Ruth and Jew had a connection that was straight out of a classic romance. Sparks flew and birds sang. The sun shone brighter. But just like in every classic romance, the course of true love isn't always smooth. I was bereft. I was lost. I felt like my heart had broken. It might have skipped a beat when we first saw each other, but now it had crashed and crumbled. This is a story right out of the romantic textbook, but it's also about love that defies the rules. I'm Tay Diggs, and from Sony Music Entertainment, this is You Had Me at Hello, the show where everyday people share their extraordinary stories of how they met 
and fell in love, and sometimes how things later fell apart. Love, its highs and lows, mess and drama, awkwardness and laughs. Come with us as we celebrate all of it. This is Fighting with Pride, Part 1. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We started in Lisburn in the 1990s, but let's go back even further long before Ruth and Jew ever crossed hockey sticks. We've landed in 1970s Wales. Here's Ruth. We used to go down the beach a lot, used to go in the sea. Ruth Birch grew up in Pathcall, a small town on the south coast of Wales. She was an active kid and spent a lot of time outside. I was involved in lifeguards. I was a girl guide. Ruth has dark brown hair and a pixie cut and a warm, kind smile. I think times then were simpler, perhaps. I was brought up in a Christian household, so we were all baptised, we were all confirmed. We'd go to the half-eight service, we'd go to the 11 o'clock service, the evensong service at six o'clock, and then we'd have choir practice. I'm surprised she had time for anything else. Ruth was also part of the bell-ringing crew for the church, too. Ringing the bells is a call to worship and signals the start of church. So I was a campanologist. A campanologist isn't a campy job. It's a professional bell ringer. And Ruth took it seriously. You've probably noticed that pop call in the 60s and 70s, when Ruth was growing up, was a pretty traditional place. I was expected to go into an admin job at the time get married, have kids. If you didn't have, like, a boyfriend, then it was seen that there was something wrong with you. And, well, Ruth never had a boyfriend. I love guys. Absolutely love guys and would be in their company all the time. But I knew that I never wanted to be intimate with any guys. She knew she wasn't what people expected her to be. I didn't really think about sexual orientation at that time, but I just knew that I needed to break away to be the person that I felt that I needed to be. And that was one of the reasons why I joined the army. It was February 1987 when I finally went into Swansea Recruitment Centre. Ruth was 19 years old when she applied for a job in the British Army. You went and you did your basic fitness test to check that you were fit enough. You went through medicals as well. And you also then went through an interview with with one of the captains. And if you passed all that, that was it. You were in. One of the final things that you did when you went to the recruitment centre was to give your oath of allegiance to Queen and Country, which is something I took extremely seriously. Ruth felt that a career in the army was in line with her values. We use the word fight, but I was going to protect my family and the United Kingdom, and I was employed by the Queen. 
who was really important to me. Joining the Army was also a way out of Ruth's small hometown. She was coming of age in the 70s and 80s, a time when homophobia was, unfortunately, widespread in the UK. British government policies often targeted gay men. Now, there weren't laws that made it illegal to be a lesbian, but that didn't mean the government wasn't concerned about gay women. It was more like... Officials believed if they targeted lesbians, they would draw more attention to their existence. So, they preferred to act like lesbians didn't exist. Still, the fear of being discovered and imprisoned was very real. So gay people found each other in secret. There were like gay clubs in Swansea and Cardiff that I found out about later on, but there was nothing local and it was all still closed door policy then. Gay clubs and bars didn't advertise themselves. Going there, you had to be discreet. Anything else would have been really unsafe. So if you grew up in a small town or village at the time, just finding out what it meant to be gay in the first place would have been really hard. We didn't have internet, we didn't have the phones. So it was so much more word by mouth. You couldn't go in the library and say, can I have a book on sexual orientation, please? Because that just didn't exist. So it, it was a lot to cope with. But when Ruth started her career in the Army, she quickly found she wasn't alone. The Army was a workplace that promised camaraderie, a chance to travel the world, and a way out of your civilian life. And Ruth found that gay women from all over the country were also seeking refuge and self-discovery there. It was life-changing. I felt, how can I describe it? I felt that I was at home. I felt that there were people here that would understand me. And it was like a massive relief, really, that I wasn't, that I wasn't an abomination perhaps being brought up from a Christian household at the time. It, you know, it could have been seen as that. That was my door opening, really. Ruth was recruited into the Intelligence Corps. She did her basic training, and then her career started overseas. Just before Christmas, 1987, I got my first posting to 13th Signal Regiment, 13th Signal Regiment was based in a town in what was then called West Germany, two years before the Berlin Wall came down. There were some wonderful people there that I worked with, and a lady that I first shared a room with, she was from the South Wales Valleys as well, and she was gay. It made me feel normal that I didn't have to be somebody else. Ruth was only 20 when she arrived at her posting in Germany. I must admit that it was like some might say college days where people socialise more, perhaps drink a bit more than they should do, especially out in Germany when it was so much cheaper. Uh, when you had a spirit, it was always a double. <laughs> I think it's safe to say that Ruth had a good time, but she was ambitious and eager to prove herself too. And I thought, right, OK, so it's time to get serious now. Let's get a bit fitter and, and sort myself out. She found a new challenge in her next posting, to Northern Ireland. I asked to go to Northern Ireland. I, I went out there in 91. Remember when we started in 1990s Northern Ireland? We're back. 
It's 1991, and Ruth has just been posted to a town called Lisburn. And it was during the Troubles. The Troubles is the name given to the conflict between Unionists who wanted Northern Ireland to remain part of the United Kingdom and Republicans who wanted it to become part of the Republic of Ireland. It was a conflict that was often violent and lasted more than 30 years, starting in the late 1960s to 1998. It was a totally different place to be posted to because this was where you could be shot. You had to be very careful where you went. Some people felt very angry about the presence of the British Army in Northern Ireland, and so Ruth was often under threat. It's something that I don't talk about very often because not only have I been shot at, um, I've also been blown up as well. I know I don't want to glorify that at all. You know, this is what happened. I'm here today, and that's, that's the main thing. So, Ruth's work life in Northern Ireland is intense and dangerous. But members of the forces still have their lives off-duty. Ruth is really into fitness. She's always loved football, basketball, hockey. Sport does bring people together. It's a wonderful way of doing that. And it is playing hockey where Ruth first meets Jew who will change her life forever. More after the break. I'm Rachel Martin. After hosting Morning Edition for years, I know that the news can wear you down. So we made a new podcast called Wild Card, where a special deck of cards and a whole bunch of fascinating guests help us sort out what makes life meaningful. It's part game show, part existential deep dive, and it is seriously fun. Join me on Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's 1991, and Ruth is 23. She's stationed with the British Army in Northern Ireland and plays sports to relax. As much as Ruth valued the community and camaraderie of sports, she never would have thought she'd find love until one fateful day on the hockey pitch where she met Julia Curry, or Jew, as most people call her. So who exactly is Jew, the woman about to steal Ruth's heart? How would my family and friends describe me? Um, Very determined if I set myself onto something. You see what you get. I just love life. Whatever life throws at you, just grab it and, and try to sieve it through even the bad stuff. Like Ruth, Jew also grew up on the south coast of Wales in a place called Chepstow. Jew lived with her parents, sister, grandma and uncle. It was a acre of land on a small holding, and it's an old cottage. Jew's dad had divided their cottage in two. Two kitchens, two living rooms, so three generations of family could all live there together. So we had an outside toilet when I was a baby. Thank goodness I don't remember that. Uh, One log fire in my nan's living room and one log fire in our living room. 
And when you left the living room, it was freezing because he didn't have no radiators till I was about 10. Ju says she always liked playing fighting games. I used to have, you know, like bows and arrows playing around the orchard and machine guns. And for as long as she could remember, ever since she was a small child, she set her mind on one singular goal. I just knew I wanted to join the British Army. I just knew I wanted to help my country. At age 17, she took the bus and traveled 45 miles to the nearest Army careers office to take the entrance exam. And she passed. They said, would I like to be um, a driver? in the army, and I went, yes, I love to be a driver. Ju joins the Women's Royal Army Corps as a driver. After completing her basic training, she also gets posted to Lisburn in Northern Ireland. Ruth has now been in her posting at the very same army base for three months. It's the day of that fateful hockey match against Ju's team. When people say love at first sight, you think, yeah, right. But seeing Jew, it was it was immediate. I was just electrified. And seeing Ruth for the first time on that hockey pitch is a turning point for Jew too. The first memory, the biggest memory, when I thought I'm attracted to women. I was playing indoor hockey, but I seen Ruth come towards me, and I thought, oh, oh, she is beautiful. I didn't know what to do, and I just just went jellified. Jellified. That's the first glimpse ever of Ruth, and I knew I was attracted to women then, at the age of 21. Everything has changed, but they still have a game to finish. Usually I was very fierce. And at this moment in the game, Jew has the ball. I seen Ruth come towards me. But Ruth had played a little hockey herself. I got pretty good, actually. I went in to tackle her. Jew has a slightly different story. I had the ball and I gave it to her. <laughs> but Ruth is sticking to her version. I tackled the ball skillfully off her, OK? That's my story and I'm sticking to it. But as soon as we sort of like saw each other, there was something that happened. It's like something in her eyes. It just opened my soul. That's all I can say. Something opened up my soul and my heart, and I'll never forget that first look. Sorry, it gets me emotional. <laughs> The pair might not agree on whether Jew let Ruth tackle her on the pitch that day, but both of them are crystal clear on what happened next. Here's Jew. When I first seen Ruth, I was so attracted to her. I thought, I want to know this soul more deeply. How am I going to orchestrate this? I remember seeing her in the cookhouse. The cookhouse is the huge room where all the soldiers go for their meals. And I saw her come in, and all of a sudden my heart is missing different beats. 
She was dressed in civilian clothing because she was a driver, so you weren't in uniform. So, so she was, she was like laid back. I just loved her whole attitude, the way, the way that, that she was. She's got the most beautiful eyes and this specific walk. And I was just totally drawn in. I was just drawn in. She had like dark black browny hair, but it's her eyes, it just drew me in. And the smile as well, her whole face just absolutely lights up. Drew sees Ruth picking up some food and knows she has to say hello again. But this time, not as team rivals. I remember saying, uh, my name's Julia, <laughs> what's your name? <laughs> you know, it sounds so corny. But she looked at me and I knew she wanted to speak to me more, like I wanted to speak to her. She just looked at me and smiled and said, hiya. And I was like, hiya. It was wonderful. Ruth was a higher rank than Jew. And as a corporal, Ruth has her own private room. So one night, Jew sneaks in. first time I went out was the night time. I was very nervous. She had a little room, a little single bed, a little telly. I didn't need a remote. You could just lean out the bed and press the TV. It was that small. We talked and everything just felt right, natural. And all of a sudden we kissed. And it's the first time I kissed another human being in my life. It wasn't like we're on, on this earth. That's all I can explain. It just made sense. It's just one of those moments and it, it was wonderful. And I thought, with every ounce of my being, I love this so well. I love Ruth so much. When we stopped kissing, it's like I was dizzy. We had to sit down on our bed. We held hands. We looked into each other's eyes and we were speechless. And I just knew I'm not going to let this woman go. I just feel at home with you. I just feel at home. Ruth and you are head over heels for each other. Love at first sight. Forever, at first kiss. How beautiful is that? Like anyone newly in love, they want to be together all the time. But there's a major problem. I didn't know about the rules about sexuality, you know, same-sex relations in the army. When I heard about it then, I was shocked. Being gay was partially decriminalized in the UK in 1967. But at this point... In the early 1990s, in the army, Jew and Ruth's relationship is still completely against the rules. One of the first questions you would be asked when you went to try and join was, are you gay? Life is about to get a lot harder for Ruth and Jew. They might lose everything. Their career, family, friends. More after the break. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. 
Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. It was illegal to be gay in the UK until 1967. And even after that law was removed, it was still against the law to be lesbian, gay, or bisexual in the British Army. That law is in place right up until the year 2000 and throughout the entire time that Ruth and Jew both served. So, being gay in the army during this time period means you are forced into the closet. You'd lose your job if anyone found out the truth. You could even end up with a prison sentence and a criminal record. Jew didn't know about the rule when she decided to join up, but she saw how it affected people as soon as she started her eight weeks of basic training. In the eight weeks, you could see some relationships forming, some ladies getting close. And we had like a cafe, you know, you'd relax in the evening and you could see people touching hands and that, but they were looking around to make sure they wasn't seen. So people knew people were seeing each other, but it wasn't spoken of, you know, in case they got kicked out. It saddened me, thinking they're very good soldiers, they're you know, exceptional at their jobs, but they can't show who they're falling in love with. For both Ruth and Jew, it is clear that the army was a draw for women like them, lesbian women, who want different lives and don't fit in with the outside world. In some ways, it's a haven because of it. But it still isn't a place where gay people can be out and proud. And this means that Ruth and Jew's blossoming love also has to be hidden. Did I tell anybody about Ruth and how I felt about Ruth and the Army? Uh, the answer is no, because Ruth was a very career-minded lady. We would have been kicked out straight away. No messing, no, no messing. So it had to be secret. And you start then to hide who you feel you are and you start to push it deep down inside. So you are living two lives and that's so, so difficult. The career was what I wanted and if I had to do that to stay in, then that, that was what I was going to do. But it was very, very uncomfortable and it does affect your mental health because you are not the person that you want to be. You have to remember to be somebody else. But even though they have to hide it, there is never any question that Ruth and Jew are going to pursue the connection they'd felt in that first moment they'd met. I was like, wow, this is going places, this is real. With us both working different shifts and different times and everything, even though we'd see each other perhaps during the week, we would have a Friday and a Saturday night together if we were lucky. 
we go into Lisbon, we go and buy ourselves some food, we come back and at the time the thing that was on the TV that we loved to watch was Gladiators. Gladiators, a British reality show featuring super athletic contestants. Honestly, not surprised Ruth and Jew are fans. We used to live for those Friday and Saturday nights. But we had to be careful because we were from totally different backgrounds. Jew was a driver. I was in core. Why were we together? People would say, you know, it's not like you work together. So we had to be exceptionally careful. Remember, Ruth and Jew were from different ranks. There weren't a lot of natural opportunities for them to come together in the workplace. Plus, their superior officers are always on the lookout. If you were within a certain group of people who looked very butch, and if you, for example, played hockey and had short hair, you were seen as fair game and you must be gay. And Ruth and Jew keep the relationship secret, even from friends. Because anyone who even knows about a secret gay relationship can be exposed to harmful consequences too. I couldn't tell nobody because it would affect them. They would have, how can I put it? pressure on them because they're keeping a secret then. I wouldn't do that to another human being. Imagine the burden of keeping such a huge secret, not only from your colleagues, but from your friends and loved ones as well. You fear for yourself and your partner, but also for those close to you. If there was any inkling of an investigation going on, then your friends would disappear because they didn't want to get involved in the investigation so it wouldn't shine a light on them. Losing friends was one thing to worry about, but it went further than that. You couldn't trust anybody. You knew that you were just being watched all the time. And they would even have like their own little spies out there as well, those people that wanted to do well in the military, therefore they were spying out for the gays. We're out to get the gays. Despite all the pressure and tension, Ruth and Jew stay together. They continue to see each other in secret for almost a year. And at first, Jew feels supported by her staff sergeant. I had this lovely staff sergeant first, lovely. Got on with him. We used to go running together and he had a corporal in the same room that did his all his... Um, paperwork. I got on with the corporal and the staff sergeant said, because I love my job and sport, uh, he said, I'll be promoted in the next year. I'll go on my advanced driving course. All brilliant. Everything was on track for Ju. She'd found love. Her career was going really well. But then one day, Ju's sergeant, the one she got along with, gets a new posting. And that means he has to leave the base. And Ju has a new boss. A new sergeant came in. And you know when you know somebody doesn't like you, you just feel the energy between you. I kept my head down. I'd done my job. But the corporal, he said, you, he doesn't like you. I don't know what it is. He thinks you're gay. The sergeant wants to get you out. He's friendly with the captain. And he's determined. And that's when the interrogations begin. Somebody had said that they'd seen us together. While I was at work, my room was totally ransacked, things taken, everything taken. 
even like cuddly toys saying that Jew had bought them for me. Yeah, she had, but there's nothing to say that she had. You know, it was all hearsay. Like something out of a spy movie, Ruth has a light shown in her face as she is interrogated by superior officers. You're having a sexual relationship. You are gay. You're gay, aren't you? You are gay. You're having intimate relations. You've been you've been gay since you joined the forces. To be honest, a lot of it I tried not to listen to until the end, and then I just say no comment because I didn't want them to see that it was getting to me. It was just horrendous. You were made to feel ashamed, dirty, all these sort of things. I think I did have some sort of mental breakdown, but of course, early 90s, it was unheard of, nothing, you know, you had to, you had to get on with it. Jew is having an awful time too. The sergeant was putting me on the worst work details late at night, so I hardly seen Ruth now. He was making my life hell. And basically in the end, they got their wish. This sergeant and captain got me out, posted out to Colchester. Jew's new sergeant has her posted to Colchester, England, 500 miles from Lisburn. She will have to leave the base, cross back over the Irish Sea, and head down to the southeast of England. I was bereft. I was lost. I felt like my heart had broken. It was really, really sad because she still had to have a persona of not being gay and not being around me. And my leave and do, this sergeant was there with the captain. And I remember the corporal say, just, just say it. So I went in front of everybody and I had to say, it killed me, I'm not gay. I know why you post me out, you think I'm gay. It was hard. Yeah. At Jew's goodbye party, after all she and Ruth had been through, she felt pressured to say she wasn't gay. And she still had to leave. We never really had a proper goodbye because she had to go out for her leaving do. And then she was posted early in the morning. So we said our goodbyes before. But it was so, so hard knowing that she was still on the army base and I couldn't go and see her. Jew is posted to Colchester for a few months and then she is sent even further away. They got rid, and got rid is a horrendous word, but they actually posted Jew to Cyprus. Cyprus, in the Mediterranean. And Jew doesn't have any say in it. When you sign up the British forces, the armed forces, basically you're their property, you sign the contract... And if they say you're going to get posted to a different place, you go. I'm not being funny, you're their property. When they said, I'm going to Cyprus, it shocked me. But what, I signed the contract. So I went then to Cyprus for six months. But even after they are forced to be physically apart, Ruth and Jew are determined to stay together. They keep in touch through handwritten letters, sent through the army mail. These letters were known as blueies. So we were writing to each other every day, 
but we had to write in a code because we knew that they were being intercepted. So we had different codes for different things and it was to do with football scores, funny enough. And Chelsea meant I, I love you. And we had other codes as well. But do you know what? It didn't matter because the way that Jew writes is the way that she speaks. So I could hear her speaking to me. And that's, that's what kept me going. During this difficult time, they wrote to each other every day. One code language was pets. Ruth would write about her cat and how she couldn't wait to hold her in her arms. But what she really meant was she couldn't wait to kiss and hold Jew. They mentioned places they'd visited with family. But they both knew that all these places were actually times they had gone away together. Just the two of them. It provided a comfort that they so desperately needed to be reminded of happier times when they were together. Until finally... There is a chance for Ruth and Jew to see each other in person. In the six-month posting, you had two weeks rest and recuperation, R&R. So Ruth came over to Cyprus. I think after four months of the six-month tour, because we left it as long as we could. Picking her up from the airport, ah, oh, the joy, the love. And it's like all our problems dissolved again when we were back together. It's like, there's no worries. And I booked private accommodation, nothing to do with the army. And I hired a car, a civilian car, and we had a fantastic two weeks. We did a lot, lot of swimming. We did a lot of walking. We had meals together. It was just spending time. It was wonderful. I felt so strong. Everything's good. We're being left alone now because nothing was said whilst I was in Cyprus. We thought we're back on track now. After Jew's six-month tour of Cyprus ends, she's able to come back to the UK, to Colchester. We had all our personal belongings from Colchester in MFO boxes. MFO boxes are wooden crates where soldiers' things are stored when they're away or being transported between postings. And all my letters, personal belongings was in there. Shortly after getting back, Jew is at work when she is approached by two men. Two men came up whilst I was working on the lorries with my colleagues in suits and ties. Went to my staff sergeant and took me off in front of everybody. I was in between them. Took me away to this, sorry. Took me to this office. And, um, they got all my blueies, which Ruth, Ruth wrote to me. And instead of I saying, I love you, we used to, used to say Chelsea, so the army wouldn't know. And I drew a calendar for for six months with different pictures on. Jew had written all the dates of the Cyprus tour for Ruth, so she'd know when they'd be back together again. Anyway, all these blueies I had, 
they highlighted them, they got everything out, highlighted certain sentences and they were there interrogating me, what does this mean, what does that mean? And I said, we're just very good friends. And uh, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't break me. They still didn't find out me and Ruth were, were together. So yeah, after Cyprus, they were still handing me and Ruth. So yeah, it was awful. It was awful. The interrogations and raids start up for Ruth again too. The situation is reaching a breaking point. I felt hounded out from that point, and I was. I was. I was hounded all the time. So I ended up putting my notice in. Ruth feels she has no choice but to resign from the army. It was just awful because it was a career that I wanted to go into. Promotion to to sergeant was imminent. I was doing my job well. I'd had a commendation from John Major, the Prime Minister at that time, for the work that I was doing. However, they were still out to get me because I was gay. (laughs) But I felt that if I'd stayed in, I could have been dishonourably discharged. And I didn't want that. To be dishonourably discharged from the army came with a heavy price. Not only did it mean losing your job, you could be stripped of your medals, have your pension revoked, or even be imprisoned and given a criminal record. It's no wonder Ruth found herself in an impossible situation. Jew is reaching her own breaking point too. After the um, interrogation from the SIB... That's the Special Investigations Bureau, who taken Jew away in front of all of her colleagues just after she got back from Cyprus. You could feel the change in the air. Nobody trusted me anymore. It felt like I was a criminal. Basically, I had a nervous breakdown. I wanted to get out the army, which, you know, I loved. But I thought, I can't talk to no one. I can't be myself. I can't take no more as a human being. Jew can't handle the stress of all this anymore. She calls up Ruth. It was just heartbreaking. I was in the black, black space. It was over the phone and I said to Ruth, I just can't cope. I can't cope with nothing no more. And she was devastated. I was devastated. It was heartbreaking. That was one of the most difficult phone calls because I understood what she'd been through as well. And I just wanted to be there for her and I couldn't. There was so much that had gone on that we were both broken to a certain degree. I couldn't cope being in that world because I was being hounded down. I just didn't know where to turn and I was still, sorry, a young woman. <laughs> not not good good place. So yeah, that's exactly how I finished it with Ruth. It was very cowardly and it haunted me for years, it did. Ruth understood why Jew needed to end things. To say that was such a brave thing to do at the time, but when I heard it, it was like everything that we'd fought for or our whole world has suddenly just been blown up and gone. I think I was 23, 24. That was the last time I seen her. 
I was just heartbroken on so many levels. I couldn't see any light anywhere, especially the way I ended the relationship. Ruth was heartbroken. I thought that was it. I'll never see her again. So Ruth and Jew had broken up. They were both leaving the army and the careers they'd wanted to pursue since they were kids. It felt like everything had fallen apart and they thought they'd never see each other again. But a love like theirs could never truly die. A love so electric never loses its spark. So I put the phone down. Oh, I, I was. I was headless. I wanted to say so much to her, but I was so excited just to see her. Find out what happens next in part two of Fighting with Pride. I'm Tay Diggs, and this has been You Had Me at Hello. If you have an incredible love story, please reach out to us at lovestories at sonymusic.com. We'd love to hear it. You Had Me at Hello is a Sony Music Entertainment production. It's hosted by me, Tay Diggs. This episode was produced by Jaja Muhammad and Arlie Adlington. The junior producer is Martha Miller. Additional production support from Mia Warren. The production coordinators are E.K. Egbatola and Lily Hamley. Production manager is Kat Moran. Peggy Sutton is a story editor. It was written by Nicole Perkins and the production team. Al Siona Mick composed the original music. The sound designer is Tom Drew. Isis Thompson, Louisa Field, and Tay Diggs are the executive producers. Special thanks to Jez Nelson, Chris Skinner, and Julia Stevenson. <laughs>